Now, let's get to the talk today. The talk today is God's Laws and Introduction. Now, the reason why I decided to actually do this talk today rather than the other talks was that most of us have a lot of trouble with law. When I say a lot of trouble with law, um, and maybe I just need to check, make sure that we're recording. Are we recording? Or? Yeah, we're recording. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> but most of us have a lot of trouble with law. We have a lot of trouble having uh, with, with this whole concept that we're governed by something. Now, some of us are quite happy to be governed by things because it makes our life much more simple. You know, if you can go to somebody and get a law from them to tell you what to do, then it makes your life real simple. You don't have to think or feel much about it at all, do you? All you just do is do what they say. Does that make sense? Now, the problem with that, of course, is that we're trying to open up our souls and our hearts, right? And we're trying to now get to the stage where we're going to be running everything from our emotions. Now, if we're governed by laws, and we're trying to run these laws through our mind intellectually, what's happening most of the time is that we're trying to check every one of our actions with what we know to be the law at the time. So before we started our discussion, say, a year and a half ago, many of you didn't know the full extent of the law of attraction, for example, did you? You didn't realise how it all worked. There's a lot of information out there about it, but all of it seems to be fairly conflicting and it's not, you know, not always very clear. And so what we have a tendency to do then is we go down the track of, oh, I don't really know the law, so I'm just going to live my life how I see fit. Now, in time, of course, when your soul is harmonious with God completely, living your life how you see fit is quite easy and you will never break a law doing it that way. But up until that time, if you live your life how you see fit right now and you've got emotions in you that are you know, sad emotions or angry emotions or all those kind of things going on inside of you, what's going to happen? Well, quite a few people are going to receive some of your anger and quite a few people are going to receive the results of some of the other emotions that you have within you, which will actually be breaking some laws. So we have to get this balance somehow of how do we progress without actually creating more damage to ourselves in the process. Does that make sense to everyone? G'day mate, how you doing? <laughs> so, so if we continue to allow ourselves to progress, at some point we're going to come up with this problem or this issue that we have within ourselves. And that is this issue of how much do we follow the law intellectually or how much do we learn about this law from an emotional perspective and what are the laws anyway? And do I need to learn every law? So these are some of the issues that we want to discuss today. Also, most of us are not aware that there is a hierarchy of laws. So some laws overcome other laws. And we'll go through and talk about that today as well, like how different laws affect our soul and affect even our physical form and what's going on physically. Now, I've also invited, I've also invited a lot of spirits here today. So one of the reasons why I invited a lot of spirits is because and there's a lot of spirits in the spirit world, particularly in the first sphere of the spirit world, that do not understand law. You imagine for a moment, is all of your life you spent here on earth, um, you didn't really understand much about God or you didn't even really believe much in God perhaps, 
you, you know, you found out different things about your life and you lived what you thought was a pretty good life, you know, and you did good things for others and, and, uh, you know, some things happened to you that was quite, that were quite damaging to you emotionally and, and physically. And so, you know, you had some anger and different other emotions build up in you. And then all of a sudden something occurs in your life and you pass. So you pass from an illness or you pass from an accident or just from old age. When you pass in that state, you wouldn't actually have very much knowledge of where you're going to, would you? So imagine you arrive in the spirit world and somebody comes to meet you and starts talking to you about different things. And Now, you will be very tempted to want to keep talking about the things that you were talking about on earth. So, you know, if you were worried about money on earth, then you want to talk to them about the money. What happens to the money now? You know, if you were worried about your family on earth and what's happening with them, then you'd want to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, if you're worried about different matters pertaining to, you know, your livelihood in the spirit world, then you'll start talking to them about that. How does everything work here, you know? So there's a lot of physical things, can you see, that you'll be starting to address. But there's this other problem that goes on inside of us, and that is our soul is a reflection of emotions in it. And so we're often locked into a location in the spirit world that we're, that we're not as nice, that is not as nice as where we are here on earth. And so we start worrying about that. And we start wondering how that occurred. Like what, what actually occurred there? We start asking questions. But the problem is, is that surrounding us, there's often a lot of people in the same place that we're in. Does that make sense? It's like having all these friends, the law of attraction works, so having, it's like having all these new people, you don't really know them very well, but you've met them in the sleep state, so you remember that at least, and then you get together with them, and they all have very much the same concept that you have. So if you were a scientist and you passed, you'd probably get together with a group of scientists, and they'd have a very fixed concept with a few additions of what they feel the spirit world is like. If you're a religion, some kind of religion on earth, so let's say you were some kind of Christian religion on earth, you'd have a very fixed concept of what would, should happen when you pass. And when you pass, there'll be a lot of people surrounding you who have exactly the same concepts as well. And, and so they're all, it's like the blind leading the blind, in a way, isn't it? Nobody's really knowing the full extent of how everything works. But everyone wants to know, but they don't know who to ask because there's nobody else who seems to know much more than themselves. So, so it's very, very confusing. And when you get into that state, when you start feeling confused, what do you start doing then? You start sort of backing off emotionally, saying giving up, you know, not feeling like, well, what's the point? I'm just going to live my life here like I live my life on earth. And a lot of times that's what they do. So a lot of the spirits who have been invited here today have actually, are actually living their life in a very, very similar way than what they lived it on earth. And, but they're in the spirit world and they know they're in the spirit world. Also, there's a whole group of spirits who are very, very uh, drawn back to the earth. You've heard the term earthbound. So they're drawn back to the earth because they don't like where they are in the spirit world and they prefer to be here. Right? So there's a whole group of those kind of spirits influencing what's going on too. And they don't understand why that's the case. And you know what it's like if your entire life you do not understand. You imagine, so many of us at the moment feel we at least start to understand our life, but you imagine passing over and then coming to grips with all of these things that you've never heard of before, never were emotionally connected to before, never wanted to investigate them before, and all of a sudden now you're just confronted with them all, all at once. Like, that's going to be a fairly traumatic experience, isn't it? And so many of these spirits 
haven't learnt about God's laws and they don't understand why they are where they are. And you know what that's like? If you don't understand why something's happening, it gets pretty confusing. How many of you went to some kind of learning institution when you were younger? Obviously, we've all been to school generally, but also maybe university. What was it like when you didn't get something? Like, how confused inside of yourself did you get? How, you know, how difficult was that emotionally to deal with? I just don't understand this. Often that's the case with mathematics, isn't it, at school, particularly in maybe matriculation, you know, year five of matriculation or, the, or the, the, the later years where the mathematics starts getting quite complicated and you're starting to really have a problem conceiving what it's all about. Imagine that emotionally. <clears throat> Imagine you being in that state emotionally. So many of the spirits who are here are in that state emotionally. And so what we want to do is address all of these issues in a nice, concise way that helps you understand divine law as an introduction. Every single law has its own principles, which we'll talk about at later time. So at a later time, we'll talk about the law of cause and effect, for example. And we'll talk about what it actually means and how God created it, why God created it, and all those kind of different detailed aspects. Today, the purpose of the chat is to actually talk about an overview of all of these laws. Not an overview of each individual law, but how God designed law generally and for what purpose and what is actually going on. Not, not only right now in your life, but also what, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> what happens when you pass. So we'll talk about all of that today. And I feel free to ask questions today um, as well about that. Just remember to hold that microphone up nice and close so that we can get the sound. Now, you've all had an outline handed out to you. Okay, so you notice it's a three-page outline. Um, it might not be too concise because I knocked it up this morning. <laughs> Most of the things in my life lately uh, happened at the last minute. Um, because most of the time, other times, I'm dealing with my emotions. So, one of the things I'd like to say to you before we get started into the discussion proper is that I'm going to use terminology that really triggers you emotionally today. So I'm going to talk about things such as sin, for example. Now, how many of you, when you hear that word sin, oh, you just have this oh feeling like, how many of you feel that? This real religious sort of, oh, that doesn't sound very good. How about the word judgment? How does that one get you? Yeah, not, not too happy with that word. Um, you see, every single word that is used has an emotional impact upon us because of an emotion inside of us. In itself, the word judgment has a specific meaning, but it becomes emotional if there's some unhealed things within us. Does that make sense? So many of us feel some emotions about judgment. Now, you can understand why. Because when we were young, in particular, we were judged all the time and often condemned and often punished in the process. And so that, you know, that's obviously very unpleasant. And so what happens is we go down this track now. Whenever we hear that word, we just rebel. Today I'm going to use words like that. Sin, judgment, penalty, right? which are all part of this law system that God made. But... They don't have the meanings that you think they have. Does that make sense to everyone? They don't have the emotional connotation that you've placed upon them in most cases. And so we'll talk about the true emotional connotation, the, the actual truth about those terms. 
The other thing I wanted to do today is just to get you to focus on your feelings because what happens a lot when we hear a talk about God's laws, we go all intellectual on it. So we start going down this process of, oh yeah, you know, trying to work it all out in our mind. Now the problem with that is, is that you're going to avoid some pretty key emotions within you if you do that today. And you'll feel quite triggered if you do that today in this talk. Because when we start talking about sin, judgment, penalty, and those kind of terminologies, which most of us associate with some kind of religious viewpoint, don't we? Then we're going to start getting those emotions within us triggered. So the key for you is to allow yourself to feel the emotion you feel about these things. Once we've defined them and once we've worked through all of that, we'll find that these, all of these terms have loving connotations, actually. And that's something that will be quite surprising to us once we get to the state of feeling it. So my suggestion is to stay away from the intellectual analysis of law and get into the emotional space where you feel what the law means. So for example, the law of attraction. We can intellectually analyze it and say, what it means is there's a, there's a soul feeling inside us that attracts an event, oftentimes the event's negative, in order to experience this emotion within us. But there's also a positive soul feeling in us that can attract an event, and then the experience is positive. The law of attraction is this soul attracting all of the events around it. Now I can go very negative about all of that. I could start, I could start getting very afraid of my day-to-day -day life. Can you see why? Oh, I've got all these really bad emotions. I can feel them in me, you know. And what are they attracting, you know? And then I start analysing what each one's attracting and all that. You don't need to do that. But you do need to understand the law from an emotional perspective. And this is what we want to try to do today. So hopefully that's given you a sort of an introductory groundwork of what we want to accomplish today. Is there any questions so far about that? No? Interesting that... Uh, it needs to come through the sound system, so... Because that we're recording it through the sound system. Interesting that you started the law of attraction with negative. Yeah, that's right. Because most, of, most people actually feel the law of attraction in a negative way. Um, the truth is that the law of attraction is also very positive. In fact, it's all, in my opinion, always positive. But, but the majority of us don't see it that way. We worry about our law of attraction. Like, what are my fears pulling into my life now? You know, how many of you worry about something last week? Worried about the money you had, worried about, you know, the, the life you had, worried about maybe having an accident, and maybe how much of your actions were dependent upon avoiding those things you worried about? Right? Quite a lot, probably. Well, there's a law of attraction at work in a negative way, right? but we don't. And, and so for many of us, what we think is negative way. It's not actually negative, it's actually very positive because it's exposing some emotions, which we'll learn. But we think it's negative. So the key thing for us all the time is to focus on the fact that everything that God has designed, God has designed for the operation of a loving universe. And so what we're going to also address is how did sin and error come about? How did pain come about then, if everything's loving? So we'll also address that in this discussion. All right. Now, all laws um, are created by God, which I've already stated. And I uh, need my... Uh, I'm not very organised today. 
as I said, I was not very organised this morning. <laughs> um, so all laws are created by God. So that's the first thing to bear in mind. God made them. Why did God make them? For the orderly operation of the universe. There is nothing you can do that can create anarchy in the universe. Right? There is certainly plenty of things man can do to create anarchy in his sphere of operation. So in other words, if some, some person on earth decided to press the button with the atomic bomb, then obviously we could have an atomic war, which could be very, very damaging to this particular earth. But it's not going to damage the rest of the universe. God's laws all govern the universe perfectly. And even the earth, if man damaged it to the point where there was radiation for thousands of years or hundreds of thousands of years, most of the things that can occur after that, the half-lives of the, the way that everything's been designed, eventually there'll be no radiation back on the earth again and eventually everything, life will start regenerating again. God has made everything that way. Does that make sense? Nothing you can do can actually ruin the universe. That being said, there's plenty of things you can do to damage yourself and other people right? through the choice of not acting lovingly, but we'll discuss that separately, how pain and suffering came into existence. All of God's laws also, the majority of them that we are totally unaware of, operate upon the soul. Now, do you remember what the soul is? What's the soul? Emotions. So if we... Soul... It's our emotions, desires, passions, aspirations, intentions. It's the soul that has free will. So almost all of God's laws operate upon the soul. And this is why the majority of people are not aware of what's happening. Because most of us are not even aware of what our soul is, let alone how laws operate upon the soul. Does that make sense? But almost all of God's laws operate upon the soul. Now, there are some laws that God has designed to operate upon the spirit body, which is attached to the soul. And there are some laws that God has designed that operate upon the material body, which is attached to the spirit body. And in fact, there are some laws that operate upon each component of the material body and there's some laws that operate on each component of each component of the material body right the way down to the adamantine particles which form all of the physical universe. So there's laws that operate on those particles as well. Now can you start seeing that, boy, we start adding up a lot of groups of laws now that affect us personally. In fact, there are literally millions and millions of laws that affect us personally. Now, many scientists in the spirit world spend their whole existence of hundreds of years at a time just investigating one particular law. Right? And then once they've investigated that and they think they understand that, then they go to another particular law. You imagine how long that's going to take to know what the laws are? You can investigate God's laws, because they are infinite in nature, for an infinite amount of time and still not know them all. And that's the problem with law, is that there are so many of them, how do we even discover them? And how do we know, how can we ever know what they are? Now at this point, a lot of spirits in particular feel the emotions of, I'm just giving up, 
Like, what's the point? I'm just going to live my life how I see fit. But if you understand the hierarchy of laws, then you will understand that there's really in the end only one law or one group of laws that all you need to do is understand that group of laws and everything else will change for you. And that's one of the things we'd like to discuss today as well. Now, if the soul is the primary receiver or the primary thing upon which all laws operate, then it is so important for us to understand firstly the soul, which we've dealt with in previous discussions, and it's also very important for us to get away from, remember our minds, our mind and our brain, our mind is in our spirit body and our brain's in our material body, we need to get away from analysing things here and into this space of analysing things at the emotional feeling level. When we do that, we will start understanding the purpose of every law. Alright, so, so for example, if I give you some examples, the law of gravity operates upon your body at the physical point of view. Does that make sense? It doesn't operate upon your spirit body. It operates upon your physical body. So, if you go up to an unusually high building, stand on the edge and decide to jump off, or are pushed off, or fall off accidentally, what's the result? The same result, generally. You hit the bottom, and straight away a separation occurs between your soul and spirit body and the physical body, because your physical body cannot sustain the damage it receives from the fall. But there's another law. There's another law besides the law of gravity, which is the law of aerodynamics. Now, the law of aerodynamics is, if I have a certain type of flow, certain type of structure somehow attached to me, I can actually overcome the law of gravity. Right? So I can actually safely jump off the building and glide around, glide around, glide around with the law of aerodynamics until I hit the ground. So it's a combination now of the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamics that governs what happens. But it's actually quite safe. In fact, how many of you have never been in an aeroplane? Well, nobody. <laughs> you haven't been. Well, Mum and Dad should take you one day. I've been on when I was, when I was in my mum's tummy. And ah. So you have been in an aeroplane, yeah, but you can't remember it. And to Melbourne. And to Melbourne, yeah. All that time you spent in the, in the air. Yeah, but we picked up a new truck. And you picked up a new truck, yeah. But can you see how like, we can spend all this time in the air and we feel, to a degree, safe. I say to a degree because many of you don't feel safe when you're flying <laughs> and feel quite agitated. I once knew a man who had to have five or six uh, drinks, heavy drinks, before he could actually fly every single time. But we often do do it because we know intellectually that it's pretty safe. Probably more safe than walking across a crowded street in many cases. So, so what we're doing then is we're now focusing here on our physical body. Our physical body is utilising the law of gravity and utilising the law of aerodynamics in order for it to do something. I don't see too many of you complaining about the law of gravity either. Like, oh, the law of gravity really annoyed me today, you know. Like, <laughs> like 
is that what happens? Like, very rare, right? I really want to get, get rid of this law of gravity. It's a pain in the neck. I don't know what God was thinking about this law of gravity. Right? And in fact, the truth is that, you know, the Earth is spinning around at quite a speed, right? And, and if there was no law of gravity, where would we be? Somewhere out in space, right? Because there's this centrifugal force that would just fling us out there. So, so the law of gravity is actually a very like, loving law. It keeps us on this Earth and it keeps us being able to sustain life as well for the physical body. So it's a lovely law. Um, not a lovely law when you fell off a building though. Does that make sense? There's a penalty associated with breaking the law. But most of us don't complain about it so much, do we? In that regard, we just accept the physical penalty for the physical breaking of that physical law. Most of us feel like that. Alright, now the law of gravity does not affect the spirit body. There's a whole different set of laws that affect the spirit body. So the instant you pass, you will never again experience the law of gravity. It will never govern your life. That's pretty amazing, really, when you think about it. Just that one physical law, that one law, won't ever be experienced by you in the spirit state. So can you see also that there's different laws affecting different locations, wherever I am, in the physical way, spirit way, and so forth? Question? Uh, here we go. The experience in the dream state of flying. Yep. Is that the spirit body flying, isn't that's, it? That's the spirit body flying. Yep. 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 Okay. And the spirit body is totally capable of flying even in your awake state, by the way. Yeah. So I, I know some farmers who check, their, who check their fences by going to lay down and get into a meditative state and they let their spirit body step out of their physical body and they actually go the entire perimeter, hover over the entire perimeter of their fence line, notice where the break is or if there's a break anywhere and then they just drive straight to that location and fix it up. Right. You can do that, right? Because your spirit body is not is not controlled by the physical law. So you can actually do that in a conscious way. Right? Many of us don't know how to do it, but we can actually do it in a conscious way. Does that make sense with what's going on with the different with the different bodies? Alright, so all of these laws, Nina, just So in our awake state can we be impacted by another person's spirit body in their awake state? I'm assuming that when we sleep, the spirit body could maybe attack or pray or help another. But if I'm awake and you're awake, would our spirit bodies, and in another location, would they affect another person? Certainly they can, yeah. Certainly, in fact, it happens all the time through the law of attraction. Bear in mind that the soul, the spirit body state, the material body state, we at the moment feel that there are huge separations between those states. Does that make sense? Most of the time, most of us feel that way. The actual truth is that from God's perspective, there is no separation between these states. Right? It's just a matter of learning the laws that govern the states and straight away you know how to utilize them. And so this is why there's many spirit overcloaking people on earth who are in a natural love path and they're actually showing people how to break a lot of those how to actually utilize, if you like, a lot of the spirit body laws and overcome a lot of the physical body laws through their actions. So this is why you get so gurus in India who can 
who can telepathically talk to another person, for example. All they're doing is using this spirit body communication path that can be used at any time by any of you. Right? Many of them can manifest a physical thing. Like you've heard of them pulling out of their pocket like a diamond ring or a you know, gold coin or whatever. What's going on there? Besides it not being, in, I mean, not in their pocket originally, and they've just manifested it. Like you've heard rumors of all of those kind of things. Some of you have even heard that there's, there's been over 150 recorded cases on earth of people actually levitating. Right? So, so how did that happen? Something must be going on, right? There must be some kind of thing to do with law that's going on. So in every case, we have a set of laws governing the different parts of our existence. The first set of laws that govern the physical part of our existence, and when I say physical, I don't mean that it doesn't govern our spirit body. What I mean is there's this group of laws that are physical or metaphysical in nature that govern the operation of the physical universe in all of its dimensions. So I've been saying to you that there's over 22 dimensions in existence in the universe, and there's physical laws that govern every one of those dimensions. Does that make sense? And I'll classify them as a group of laws called physical or metaphysical laws. Does everyone follow me with that? So gravity falls into that category. Aerodynamics falls into that category. Photosynthesis falls into that category. Electromagnetism falls into that category. Does that make sense? These are all physical laws that govern the operation of physical things in our universe. Every one of those is a law that mankind can discover, and many of them we have discovered, and many of them you now utilize every single day of your life. Uh, many of you use electricity every single day of your life, do you not? So that's a law that's been discovered that you now utilize all the time. And yet hundreds of years ago, it was very, like, it wasn't widely known at all. And it, you go a thousand years ago, and it was just an imagine, imagination for some people that it would actually occur. But it was an actual law that eventually we discovered as a human race and then now we get to the stage where we utilize it every day. The law of aerodynamics is the same, isn't it? Like hundreds of years ago, it was just a dream. You know, you have a certain people who were, you know, ballooning or whatever who were, who were doing the up in the air thing. And then a thousand years ago, that wasn't happening so much at all. Right? And so when you add all that together, now what we're doing is we go up and down, up and down, up and down all the time. Up in the air, fly to a new location, down. And, and it's like second nature to us in most cases. So can you see how once we discover law, it becomes so easy for us to reuse it over and over again. But all of those laws, we classify them all as, the ones that I've just mentioned, all as physical laws. The physical laws that, that govern the universe. And do you know what? Most of us are the most fascinated with those laws. If I could just manifest a gold coin right in my hand in front of you, all of you would be very impressed, wouldn't you? We'd think you were Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> if I could just walk on water, you'd be impressed. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't make, take much to convince somebody, does it? All you've got to do is that one thing. You, you could have all these other things wrong in your life, but as long as you could do that one thing, everyone would be very impressed. Is that not the case? You see, the problem is we are all so impressed with someone who's able to seemingly transcend the physical laws, but actually all they're doing is utilizing them. We're so impressed with them 
because we don't understand that there's a whole set of laws that are much greater, much more powerful, and in fact, from God's perspective, much more beautiful than the ones we're looking at. So many of us have become addicted to, to listening to people who are, who are able to transcend the physical laws or are able, I would say, to utilise the physical laws to demonstrate truths to you. Right? And you think of all the different spiritual paths that you've been interested in in the past, how many times were you originally attracted to it because of something physical? If we're honest with ourselves, we'll see that it's quite often right, that we've been attracted to it because of something physical. Not because of the next set of laws, but because of something going on physically. And this is where almost every like Indian guru who can do these kind of things. And by the way, they themselves personally can't necessarily do those things because they're often overcloaked by a spirit almost completely in their life who can do those things through them, using their ectoplasm to do these things. But anyway, it appears like they're doing it. But we're so addicted to looking at that and thinking, wow, that means they must have a lot of truth for me to listen to. Does that make sense? We're automatically attracted to that kind of event. Because so many of us, are, we don't know even the physical laws, so we so become so fascinated with the fact that they can be utilized in different ways that we're not aware of. In the future, what will happen, these physical laws will become more and more widely known. And many of the so-called forms of energy that you have today will not be used anymore. There'll be a whole new groups of forms of energy. There are there is five new groups of forms of energy that scientists have defined right at this point of point in time related to quantum physics that they have no idea how they work at all. Right? And you can investigate these things on somewhere like the net or something like that if you want. And there's no dollars being thrown at it because what does man do? We throw dollars at things that are going to earn us dollars, dollars. <laughs> those profits, right? And so there's no dollars being thrown at it because it might take 10 years, 50 years or whatever for man to use his normal way of investigating these things. And so there's no dollars thrown at it and instead what we do is the governments throw billions of dollars at things they feel will probably work. But there's these whole groups of laws in a scientific and physical perspective that mankind is yet to discover at all. So that in itself is pretty light. Don't you think it's exciting? Like, imagine what kind of laws they might be. And if we start using our imagination, we might, and this is how most of us have come to even fly, is because somebody did use their imagination. Right? And in fact, imagination is a key way of connecting to other people in the spirit world who know about these laws and can give us those laws. Does that make sense? So we'll talk about some of that at a later time. But everyone understands at this point, we've got this whole group of physical laws. They are the laws generally that we're most fascinated about. So you love reading, many of you love reading about, oh, this fantastic thing that happened by this person and wasn't it amazing what he could do, isn't it, isn't it fantastic? And we often go into that. We're not really interested in the person's emotional condition. We're not really interested in how much love the person has, but we're actually fascinated with what the person can do. Right? If you're honest with yourselves, you can see that that's the case. So that's a group of physical laws. From God's perspective, the physical laws are the lowest laws of creation. 
Does that make sense? They are the laws that have, from God's perspective, the least impact upon you. From our perspective, we think we have, they have the most impact upon us. But from God's perspective, they actually have the least impact upon us. Because there's a next set of laws, another set of laws. So we rub out the material body now. The next set of laws operate upon... Remember, the spirit body is really just a material body, isn't it? But it's a material body for the spirit world. So then they say the laws don't operate upon that body. Either. The next set of laws operate only upon the soul. And this is where there's a lot of confusion now with our spirit friends who are in the first sphere and that, who have come today because they thought that this whole new group of laws would actually operate upon the spirit body. The reason why they thought that was because they can see the brightness of the spirit body. And in seeing the brightness of the spirit body, they then deduct from that that obviously that person is in a different place. And so they start thinking that the soul is the spirit body. Right? And so the majority, if you think of a majority of things that you've learned from a metaphysical point of view with regard to progression, so many of you who've been doing things like New Age philosophy or other types of philosophy, there's been a fair bit of focus on the spirit body in that process, right? But, but the spirit body just reflects the condition of the soul. So here's our soul, here's our spirit body. In, our, in the spirit world, and even when you're in your sleep state, your spirit body, and even right now, you're sitting here, your spirit body reflects moment by moment what's going on inside of your soul. Now, who's been to do some spiritual healing where, you know, you lay on a table and somebody works on your chakras type thing? How many of you have done that? Well, quite a lot, right? Okay, so, so you lay on the, on the, body, on the uh, table usually, right? And somebody works on the different chakra energy points of the seven chakras that are in your body. Now, what they do is they work on it a certain way and it opens it all up. And maybe a bit of emotion dribbles out for you uh, in the process, right? <laughs> so they open it all up and they get them all working properly and even you can see it with a pendulum. How many of you have, have had the person show you with a pendulum that, that's now actually open, right? So a number. So you see this pendulum rotating even a clockwise direction around that chakra when the chakra is open. Now... You go back next week, and that chakra's closed again. So the person does the same thing again. Does their work on the chakra, opens it up again, a little bit of a emotion comes out sometimes, and, and we go through the same process. Does that make sense? <laughs> What's actually happening is there are laws that govern all of that process, but they're all to do with the soul. You see, if there's not a change in the soul, that chakra is going to close again. If there's not a change in the soul. And this is why most spiritual healing forms, as practiced today, if they're not focusing on soul emotions, are not actually accomplishing much. Um. Hey, can we go through the microphone? Thanks. Always the microphone. Um, I'm just a little bit confused with the spirit body. Is it a? Is it? Does it? Is it like um, an orb of colour, or is it an actual ghost? Like, is that what a ghost is, or? I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> yep, no worries. And the spirit body, and in fact all forms of energy, give off colours. 
So the spirit body gives off what's called an aura, right, or, or a group of colors. Um, if the if the spirit body is in a poor condition, it'll it'll not give us off a strong aura, or its aura will be damaged in some way. So there'll be holes in it and different. And a person who can see an aura will see these different things, shapes and colors, inside the spirit form. But but that's not the spirit body itself. The spirit body itself has organs, just like your body. They are in a different dimensional space. And sometimes some of you will even notice the organ operating. Like the spirit body has a heart, for example. And so sometimes, I don't know if you've ever gone into a meditative state and felt the beating of your own heart, the thing going on, and then, and then you've gone into a deeper meditation state, right? And what's happened then? You start feeling this... Some of you would have started feeling this really high velocity beating going on in the same location as your heart which is actually your spirit body's heart. Does that make sense? It's actually an organ in your spirit body. Your spirit body has organs. Um, microphone. Uh, my name is Dr. George Dangel. I'm uh, one of the very few birds in this world. I'm a, a master, uh, master pranic healer. Yes. I teach all over the world, and <clears throat> some of the things you've told me quite impressed me, but uh, if I'm going to correct you, there's 360 chakras in the body. And there's sorry? 360 chakras in the body. Oh, there's actually more than that, but... but no, there's, there's not. No, there is actually. No. <laughs> I'm sorry to disagree with you, but there is. Um, well, I must be wrong, because I just talked to 4,000 people in Hamburg. Yeah, um, can I just <coughs> say, say why? There's... Okay. In the, in the spirit form, all the different things, that, all the different communications that come from the spirit world and also most of the stuff that's investigated here on earth is investigated on the natural love path. And the natural love path, you are correct. On the natural love path, the body, the spirit body has 360, as you mentioned. But on the divine love path, the divine love actually, path actually transfers the soul and it changes the way the soul operates and it also changes the number of chakras in the spirit form. Mm -hmm. And so you actually have chakras, different chakras merging and growing and changing based on the changes of the soul. But this is not something that's been investigated on earth at all. Okay, uh, another thing is there are seven bodies. Uh, um, the soul... No, can I correct you again? Yeah, Sorry. Um, I know this is, a, this is all very... Um, what you're discussing now is metaphysics. And metaphysics all come under this banner of physical laws. There are different layers of our spirit body, but they are the one body. Uh, I must correct you there. Due to the fact... <laughs> well, you and I can dis yes, disagree. Okay. But um, there, there, for instance, the, uh, I can't work it out, you say, the spirit body, but it's the etheric body we work upon. No, see, the etheric the body is no, part let, of the let spirit me finish, body. Let me finish. The spiritual body is the soul body. And if you want to know the format of the soul, okay, it's the, uh, a quantum theory called uh, the mega uh, microcosm is equal to the macrocosm. All there is of one is one of all. I am that I am. Okay, can, this can is I, the law. Can I stop you for a moment? Yes. People did come here to listen to me. Yes. Not to listen course. to you for a start. Secondly, can I just address the issue from a, from an emotional perspective? Mm -hmm. What's going on inside of most people today is that they want to understand everything from an intellectual, physical perspective. 
Now the problem with doing that, understanding all of these things from an intellectual physical perspective, is you'll only discover certain things. And what man has discovered is you're correct in what man has so, so far discovered. But there's a whole group of things that man has yet to discover. And that's what I want to talk about today. When I talk about the soul, I am not talking about anything to do with the spirit body at all. Mm -hmm. The spirit body's layers, which you've described, are all a part of the metaphysics that define the spirit body, but they have nothing to do with the soul. The soul, the terminology soul, comes from a lot of six-sphere spirits thinking that the spirit form at a certain layer is the soul. But in reality, that is not true. And we can talk about that and argue about that, but all we'd be doing is arguing about divine love principles compared to natural love principles. You are right on the natural love principle side of things. Everything you're talking about is correct. But there is this whole other set of things going on at the soul level, which is a totally different creation to any of the things that have been discovered with regard to the body. Unfortunately, what happens today is many people use the same terminology for different things. So when we start talking about the soul, what starts happening is we start referring to many spirits in the spirit world, right up to the sixth sphere, by the way, which is where all this information is coming from, are actually referring to things in the spirit body thinking they're talking about the soul. So there are so many sixth sphere spirits here today who are thinking that when I talk about the soul, I'm talking about what you're referring to. But actually, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about some other part of you which has control of the th these things that you, you're referring to as the soul. Does that make sense? So it's very important that to actually maintain a separation between, if you like, the concepts of what's being discussed. So when I'm talking about the soul, and this is very important for everyone to understand, I'm not talking about what you've read about in metaphysical literature about the multi-layered thing, uh, the multi-layered con construction of the, f of the spirit body. I'm actually talking about something completely different. And, and in fact, at some point in the future, in your future, you will actually connect to only that thing and these other bodies will not even exist for you. Now, there is currently no spirit in the sixth-sphere state who, has that, who, who are in that state because you can't actually get into that state in the sixth-sphere. So does everyone understand that a lot of what you've heard terminology-wise is not the terminology that I'm using here? Right? When I'm talking about the word soul, I'm not talking about any of the etheric layers or any of the emotional body layers or any other layer of the spirit body, even right down to what is defined as by metaphysicians, the actual soul level state of the spirit body. None of those things are what I'm referring to when I'm talking about the soul. The soul is a completely different creation of God of which you truly are and your body is just a manifestation of that state. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. And that's where I'm coming from here. So, when you see literature talk about the etheric layers of the bodies or the other layers of these bodies, they're actually referring to what's going on at the spirit body state. They're not referring to what's going on at the soul state. And in reality, and this is the beauty of what God has created, in reality, what's going on at the soul state is much more simple and easy to understand than what's actually happening in the spirit body and in the physical bodies. So in other words, when you understand the soul, you will actually go through this process of letting go of all of these intellectual definitions of what's going on at these states. And in fact, 
when you fully connect with your own soul, you will find that this state and this state become almost something you never consider again. Because you know that these, all of these different states that can occur all happen at a different layer that you were not previously aware of that you will become aware of. So for any of you who are healers or any of you who are doing spirit body work, understand that almost all the information that you've received about it all relates to this body and its construction, which go from organs right the way through to different layers of energy and different layers of emotional experiences that are all part of that destruction, construction. But they are all actually the they are all actually the soul have the soul as its controlling force and so when I talk about the soul I'm not talking about this, anything that you've read today in any metaphysical book does that make sense to everyone? Yeah. Yeah. so yeah the, the truth is though with sharpers certainly there are a lot more there are seven primary ones obviously that most people work with that most people have heard of. Uh, but in reality, what happens also with the spirit body is when this soul develops above the sixth sphere, all of these energy points also start changing. And so spirits see them as different creatures. And I've actually spoken with many spirits who actually believe that a person from the celestial spheres is actually a different type of soul than a person that's in the sixth sphere or under because they don't understand how the people got to where they are. And by the way, they were just, they're not different types of soul. They're the same type of soul experiencing a different process, which is the divine love process, which we've been talking about. But does that make sense to everyone what's, what I'm referring to? Now, I'm sorry to, because there's a lot of material I need to cover today, so I need to, to, to keep moving on. But the physical is something we've already discovered. By physical, I'm talking about all of those things you've mentioned, all of the metaphysical things as well. That's all physical to me. That's also all physical to God, in the sense that everything that's going on in those bodies, everything that's going on in the universe around you energetically is all part of the physical universe. I don't mean just the material that you can see and touch when I'm talking about the physical. Alright, the next layer And this is the next layer that we have most trouble with. The moral layer. Now the moral layer, I'm just going to get a drink. The moral layer is a completely new layer, if you like, of laws that we need to discuss. These all operate upon the soul. So the physical operates all upon the physical operation of the universe, right down to adamantine particles, right the way through. The moral stuff operates upon this structure of the soul, which is totally different, and, and it governs, in fact, where you arrive in the spirit world. So, most of, this is where most people on earth have lots of trouble because we don't like to hear about morals. But ironically, it's also where most religions have gone. Can you see that? 
you look at the, for instance, most of the religions on earth, they all have moral tenets or moral laws, if you like, that they tell to their adherents. Like, you've all heard of the law from the Bible, you must not murder. That is a moral law. If you murder, there will be an effect upon your soul. There's a, there's a moral law that, that you must love. So if you don't love, there will actually be an effect on your soul. There's a moral law about sexuality. Lots of different moral laws governing sexuality. And if you engage in sexuality in sex without love, there will be an effect upon your soul. This group of laws is the law, the group of laws that the majority do not want to know anything about <laughs> because we don't like the whole concept of our lives being governed by morality most of the time. Now, if we allow ourselves to feel our emotions, we often do like the concept of morality. But intellectually, and often with our emotional damage, we don't like the concept of morality. But it's those groups of laws which in the pageant messages and in everything that I'm writing about is I would call the laws of natural love. Right, so there's a whole group of laws, the laws of natural love. They operate upon the soul. They change the consistency of the soul. If you break those laws, the soul itself's energy degrades. And not only that, you will feel it emotionally. So it's not just a metaphysical operation that occurs. It's an emotional operation that occurs. Does everyone understand the difference? So if I break a physical law, what happens? Like if I break the law of gravity and I jump off a building, I get damage to my <coughs> excuse me, physical body. Um, but I may not, if I was pushed, or I may have a group of emotions associated with it. If it was an accident, I may have another group of emotions associated with it. But the actual operation of me just falling off a building and going kaput and actually separating from my physical and spirit bodies, the actual operation of that, what does that do? Nothing emotionally unless I have some emotional experiences attached to it. Right? With all of these laws, these moral laws or the laws of natural love, they operate upon the soul, they all have an effect on our passions, desires, longings, emotions. They all have an effect, some kind of emotional effect on us. Does that make sense? Not just a physical effect, they have an emotional effect. They affect what's going on inside of us emotionally, inside of our soul, which is the real you. They affect what's going on there. The reason why I've called them moral laws is because oftentimes they are affected deeply by morality. But they're not just including moral laws. There are laws about positive things about love as well that are all part of the operation of this group of laws. You could call them the next highest group of laws. So once you understand that highest group of laws, you'll automatically do a lot of the things that are underneath that. It doesn't mean that you know everything at this point, but it means that you understand how God made the universe in terms of how it affects your soul. You see, most people when they pass over have no idea why 
they've passed into the first sphere or into one of the hells of the, of the spirit world. They have no idea. And the reason why they have no idea is because they, they've only understood the physical laws of God, but they've never understood any of these moral laws. They've never really gotten any of that. Does that make sense? Or they've broken those laws in some way. And many people who are religious, by the way, have broken them. So, for example, you know, there was, you've heard that there's a law you must not murder. But you've also heard that if you feel like murdering somebody, you've already done it. Right? In other words, just the feeling like you wanted to murder is in fact the breaking of a law. Right? A breaking of a moral law. It's a law of the soul that affects the soul and it will affect where you go. So let's say you had some damaging things happen when you're on the earth by a certain person. Let's say that person was your father who sexually abused you. When your father passes, he will obviously have a lot of soul damage because he's broken a lot of moral laws. Does that make sense? So you have a lot of soul damage. But when you pass, if you have held on to the anger about all of those events, there's a high likelihood that you'll have a lot of very dark emotions about what damage you would like to do to him in return. So you might have emotions of vengeance in you, for example, right? wanting to take revenge. Well, that causes your own soul condition to degrade. And while you may not pass into the same location that he passed, because he's actually done more damage than that, you may pass still into the first fear, holding on to that emotion. Does that make sense? Because you're holding on to the emotion that actually breaks some of these laws yourself. So one time we were talking with a group of uh, spirits who were passing the spirit world in Barbados who were in the spirit world as, as slaves. They were still living as slaves. So they were on earth, they were slaves, and when they passed over into the spirit world, they still thought themselves to be slaves. And they couldn't understand why their condition, why they were in a location that resembled some of the locations that they'd actually lived in, in terms of experience, as what they'd lived on on earth. They only began to understand it once we started relating to them how they had this emotion of vengeance in them, how they wanted to take revenge upon the people who had harmed them. Now once they released that emotion of vengeance and connected to some sadness, their condition grew almost instantly from that location to a new location. You can shift your soul condition very rapidly. And you can do that in the spirit world. So when you get to a spirit world, most spirits feel that they are locked into that place. And there are two reasons why they feel that way. One is because most Christian-based religions have taught them that when you pass over, you either go to heaven or hell. And if you feel like you're in hell, what are the, what are the, what's the other thing the Christian religion teaches you? You're stuck there. You can't get out of it. So that's one reason. Another reason why they feel it is on the, on the Eastern philosophies, there's this viewpoint that once you arrive in the spirit world and you do your life review, that you have to come back to earth again and work through the karma. Does that make sense? So there's literally millions and millions and millions of spirits in dark places on the spirit, in the spirit world trying to get back bodies on the earth in order to work through their karma, which has actually locked them in a position. 
none of those spirits need to be where they are. They can all progress right where they are in the spirit world. They do not need to come to earth at all to progress. But because of the belief systems that we've carried on here on earth, they believe they either have to reincarnate or they believe they have to either be consigned to hell, fire, or there's no fire they know, but it feels torturous. And they feel they have to be consigned to that forever. Carol, thanks. If we can have a mic. If you um, break a law, like say the law of murder, for instance, if you're getting into an angry state because you're trying to release emotion uh -huh. and you feel like you want to kill somebody in that, is that, I mean, where does that fit with, with um, do we sort of pull ourselves up, don't go there, I'm going to kill that guy or something? Remember, I've, I've answered this question before, but uh, just to describe to you, even if an emotion, if an emotion is denied inside of you but exists, that is it at, at its worst place. So let's say I have a murderous emotion towards my dad because of what he's done. While I deny that emotion within me, I am actually in the worst soul condition. The instant I actually even acknowledge intellectually that I have this emotion in me, I'm automatically in a better condition. And the instant that I actually allow myself to feel that emotion, I'm automatically in a better condition again as long as I'm feeling it in a way that's not harming others. Right? So if I'm just feeling my anger and frustration and rage about what's been done to me, then I'm now in a better state. But if I'm feeling my anger and frustration and rage and wanting to punch my father in the face, now I'm in a different place. I'm now in a denial place of my own emotion. Does that make sense? Then if I go into a deeper state of even feeling the sadness I feel, I'm even in a better state again. And then as I go down into the emotion, eventually get to the core emotion and release it, now I'm in the release place of the emotion. In other words, the emotion has left me completely and I'm in the best possible state with regard to that emotion. So it's going to be a gradual change as I work my way through these different realisation states with regard to the emotion. Don't think that if you have an emotion within you that your best course of action is to avoid it because actually it's your worst course of action. Your worst course of action, if, if, you, if, you, if you're thinking that the best way is to step over it somehow emotionally or to make yourself feel better through meditation or something, it's actually your worst course of action, your worst possible course of action. The reason why it's your worst possible course of action is because your soul isn't changing. And if your soul doesn't change, and the only way it can change is by emotions of ever rele re being released from it. If your soul doesn't change, then what's the point of the action? There's really no point of the action. Does that make sense? So if I've got a feeling or an emotion inside of me of hatred towards another person, just the step of acknowledging it actually puts me in a better condition. And the step of actually starting to allow myself to feel it and feel what's underneath it puts me even in better condition. And once I've completely released it and get into a state of love with the person, now I'm in the best possible condition with regard to that emotion. And if we can keep that in mind. Now, the problem with morals or the problem with the laws of natural love is that when we pass into the spirit world, it normally takes a few spheres of progression before we start realizing that they exist, these laws. And the problem for that, what that means is that for the majority of spirits who pass, they pass into the like dark areas of the first sphere not understanding how to get out of it at all 
and not understanding why they're even there, which is a very, very sad fact, unfortunately. Now, there's literally millions and millions of people trying to tell the truth to them as to why they're there, but because of all of these beliefs that we've picked up on earth, we often are so locked in emotionally that we can't accept what we're being told. One thing for all the spirits who are here that they need to bear in mind is that if a person is in a brighter spirit body condition than yourself, then they know some things about life that you don't know. Simple as that. And it's worth listening to them. And the people that are in the brightest condition are the people worth listening to the most. Does that make sense? And in fact, if the persons are in the brightest condition and on the divine love path, they are the ones that are really worth listening to because they will show you and they can show you how to progress the most rapidly than all other spirits can show you. And that's the difference between your progression. So most of us, because we've broken laws of natural love on earth, there's certain emotions that are within our soul now as a part of the penalties of breaking these laws. Does everyone understand that? We'll talk about why that occurs. Now, as these penalties are imposed upon the soul, the soul condition degrades, which causes the spirit body's look to degrade. Many of you have heard of spirit bodies looking like, like lizards and reptiles and whatever. Many of you have heard of that? All of the spirits who look like that are actually in very poor conditions. So if you're a medium and you're connecting to spirits looking like that, you are connecting to spirits who are in very poor condition. Because the persons in the best condition look like a perfect 21-year-old person here on earth with no flaws and are very, very bright in their condition. And they're in the most loving space. Um, if you can wait for the microphone, you can ask anything you want. <laughs> Can't you choose? Put it right up. Uh, can't you choose not to draw those people to you? And this is something that's often misunderstood too on Earth. There's this idea that somehow we can choose what kind of spirits are attracted to us to talk to. In reality, what's making the choice is our soul. Yeah. So it's the soul's emotions that will attract it. So let's say I have an emotion inside of me of powerlessness. I'm going to attract spirits who want to abuse my power. Right, yeah. And so I'll, it doesn't matter how much I intellectually say, don't you come, Right? what will happen is that these spirits will come because of the law of attraction. Now, usually our spirit guides are trying to prevent them from having some influence on us, yeah. but our spirit guides can't break the law of God either. So they can only prevent it as long as they themselves are not breaking God's laws doing the prevention. Yes, but years ago, mm -hmm. I had troubled people coming to me. Yep. Um, I have no fear of anything like that yep. and I did it willingly and lovingly feeling very confident that uh, I could handle whatever came my way yes. Okay, and then I gradually started to feel that that is no longer a path I wanted to take right. so gradually that went I, that stopped happening I no longer had those people coming into my life that's because your law of desire changed. Your desire changes, and as your desire changes, 
that'll attract whole different types of people yeah, coming well, into your life. But so it, for me, that's like a choice I made at soul level that I no longer wanted to do that. But it wasn't an intellectual choice. No. It was actually an emotional choice. But the more you get into love, yeah. the less it is intellectual because it becomes, for me, just a knowing. Yeah, but can I put forward something to you? One of the, one of the most powerful things you can ever do is, is help a person in the worst condition. Yes, but you can't if it's... If they're doing it, and I what I felt, they were doing it to show that they could do it. I just think they were manifesting all this weirdness and possession and all this stuff. Yep. And for me, it I don't think they wanted help. I think they were just trying to show that they could do it. Well, under some circumstances, that would be the case. They wouldn't want help. But there's obviously a lot of people who are have a very heavily spirit-possessed or obsessed that do want assistance, but they have no idea why they've got the obsession. And mm -hmm. if a person can help that person, that's displaying a lot of love to them. Yeah, you can give a lot of love without drawing that though. No, but see, you're worried about being influenced in some way by it. <laughs> no. Well, why would you then stop doing it? Because I found that I can do more helping people on a level of prayer and uh, without having a lot of contact. I've become more as I've grown older. I can do, um, I don't want to influence people, but I find I can do much more with prayer, uh, prayer, if you want to call it that, um, than you do in a one-to-one. -one. You can do it within, and that's where I feel very drawn, and I find it very, um, more love that way, you know. Well, that, that's fine for what you were saying for yourself, but I'm saying to you that there's this whole other area of your life that you can actually change into as well, where you where you will not be selective about who you're helping at all, and you will feel a lot more love because and you you'll have a lot more love than even you have right now yeah. for those ones. And so what I'm suggesting is, at the moment, you made some decisions at the soul level based on laws of natural love, but God, there's some laws of divine love actually that have that the process has drawn you away from. And what I'm suggesting is that when you're in the space of actually learning those laws, you may be redrawn back into actually helping a lot of these ones, but in a different way. Do, do you follow me? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, key, the key thing to bear in mind with a lot of these discussions is that, you see, for most of us who are mediumistic or, or healers or something like that, we are drawn down certain paths of, uh, of uh, our life in order to learn a lot of personal lessons within ourselves. So one of the personal lessons you would have learnt within yourself was this law of love of self, for example. Am I being loving to myself, helping a person does, that doesn't seem to really want help? Well, obviously not. So, so you work your way through that law of love of self for yourself. But there is, there's a whole n other set of laws, which we'll talk about in a minute, that you will have perfect love of self, but actually want to help any person and be actually in the position to be able to help any person more powerfully through the reflection of divine love in, in your soul rather than the reflection of the natural love which is coming from yourself. But a lot of uh, it needs to be a microphone if you're going to speak. <laughs> I walked away from, um, how can I say it, being involved uh, like this Yep. a few years ago. Yep. And... Um, I think a lot of times the people I met on the path, great people, 
but very much into their ego of they can they're what they're doing. Yep. I found that a little bit hard, and I didn't want to go down that path. Of course. And because yeah, that's not loving. So I I kind of stepped back. Yep. And I've been following fairly strong my own spiritual path. Awesome. And uh, but I don't want to get into that. Um, I don't want to be a guru, and I don't want people camping on my doorstep. I just like to do it quietly in the background. Well, that, that's an emotion inside of you, by the way. Yeah. And the truth is that when you get into a state where um, you're connecting with God fully at, at, at the one-minute state, nobody in that state thinks of themselves as a guru for a start. Well, you see that, though. I, in all the years I was doing Yeah, but, but if they think they're a guru, they're not in that state. Yes, I know, but that's what they... Over. I know, but if they put that over, they're, they're not in that state. Yeah, well, the I reality. Know that. Yeah, well, yeah, you know that, and I know that. The re we've got to talk about realities, not what they yeah. think. So they, they might think they're in that state, but they're not. Does that make sense? Yeah, I do. And but that's why I guess for me, I'm listening to you. I'm think it's like some of those things for me is like you go, you fall off a log, and think, oh my gosh, it was that easy, and I struggled so hard and so long. Yep. But I've done that with very quite reflection and growth in yep. a different way yeah it, it, just a different way but what i'm suggesting is the new changes you will make and i feel you will make them will actually step you into a totally different place which other people will see you as perhaps a guru right you won't ever feel yourself to be that way at all and and lots of people will be attracted to you because they want to hear the truth but you'll just have normal down-to-earth day-to-day interactions with everyone around you. Well, Does that make sense? Fine. And that is actually, when you get to an one condition with God, you don't set yourself up as a guru. What happens is people just invite you to do things because they want to hear, you know what I mean, yeah. about the divine truth. And in fact, it, what you'll find is that a lot of the people who have set themselves up as gurus want to tell their truth. When, once, you, once you go through this transition into divine love, what will happen is you'll just reflect God's truth to everyone. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it would be a different state. And some of the worries you have about that state, one of the worries is I'm going to be bombarded with people who want my, mm. who want my help, actually is an emotional injury that you have within you about that. So if you can allow yourself to work your way through that injury, and when you, when you trust God completely, you won't feel that injury anymore. Does that make yeah. sense? So just allow yourself to allow these transitional changes to occur towards the divine love path and then what will happen is that you'll find that any injuries that block you towards it at the moment will actually will all be free just like you have experienced in the past with the progression on the natural love path you've had that experience where you've learned about love of self for example yeah so getting back to topic though it's the emotions desires passions of the soul that determine and are determined by this moral, these moral things that we do. And the, or the laws of natural love, I would call them. Right? Now later, what we're going to do is we're going to talk lots and lots and lots about the laws of natural love. So the next three discussions, actually, tomorrow there'll be the law about, laws about governing the love of others. Uh, the next session, two weeks' time, will be laws about governing the love of self. Like what you would, what kind of laws govern the love of self issue, and then we'll talk about human relationships, having a relationship with a partner. In other words, how these natural love laws affect our interaction with our partner, and what's going on with our partner. How we can actually 
be assisted in our development together in a relationship. But none of those laws are as highly important as the next group of laws. The next group of laws also impact upon the soul. So they impact upon this part of you. But they are about the transition of the soul from the human soul into the divine soul. Right? This next group of laws. So if you could think of, here's your soul as it is now, and then there's this other creature that your soul can become. A totally different creature. Right? We would call this the human soul. In other words, that was the soul with which you're being created. Every single person who's ever existed on earth has had that type of soul. Every single person on the, with this type of soul can have this transformation of process occur to go into this, what I would classify as a divine soul. Right? The process I have to call before in our discussions the new birth. Right? or being born again. Does that make sense? So there's this process that transforms the average human soul into this completely different creature. This process makes the transformation between the human and the divine only occurs through the operation of a whole group of laws. The whole group of laws are called the laws of what do you reckon it might be? Laws of divine love. Ironically, the laws of divine love are the simplest laws to understand in the universe. You see, the physical laws are the most complicated to understand in the universe, then the spiritual or moral laws are the next least complicated, and in fact the laws of divine love are the easiest thing you can understand. So it's actually the opposite way that everything really works, right? So that's cool, isn't it? The way, the way that God's made it is that this group of laws a child can understand. Which makes sense when you think about it, doesn't it? Why give a group, like, why make a universe that everything is so complicated that a child can't understand it? The truth is, at this stage, you can, these laws are so simple in their nature that the majority of spirits in the sixth sphere of the spirit world and the majority of intellectual people on earth rebel completely against even attempting to understand them because they're too simple for them. And can you see one quality that requires to understand this group of laws? Humility. Because, you know, oftentimes what we want is to have a complicated group of laws that only I can understand and then I'm fantastic. <laughs> right? And then if we take that one step further, you're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you don't understand them. This group of laws is so basic that a child can understand them. And that's why all of us need to become as little children. One of the reasons why we need to become as little children to enter the kingdom of God, or actually in the kingdom of God is this process of this new birth, the transformation of the soul from the human soul into the divine. Right? And it's understanding this group of laws that actually causes this transformation process. This space here and you feel you want to teleport, you will teleport. You won't have to understand how teleportation works. Does that make sense? Because you'll just have a feeling, oh, oh, I just want to go there.
And now you think about all the spiritual literature you've talked, you've read. You know, some of you have read the Life in the World Unseen, yeah, and some have read like these other books about the spirit world life. One of the things that uh, some of these books talk about is you can be standing here, have a desire to be over there, and then all of a sudden you're there. Does that make sense? They all talk about that kind of thing happening. Well, that's because in the spirit world it's a lot easier to move from one place to another, right? But when you understand the laws of divine love, you'll be able to do all of those kind of things without understanding them. <laughs> you'll just be able to utilize them all. In other words, you basically understand them all without needing to intellectually understand them. Imagine picking up a musical instrument like some child prodigies do, right? And then all of a sudden go, and away you go, right? That's what it's like. Exactly like that. Like August Rush. Like August Rush. Yeah, you've seen that movie where the little boy just gets any musical instrument and away he goes. It's an amazing movie, isn't it? And, and yeah, exactly like that. A person connecting to their soul will start to be able to express themselves instantly in all these different forms. So, so at the moment, you know, what a lot of times we're doing is we're using our mind to do things, right? So, for example, how many of you have learnt to draw or paint? Yeah? How many of you had to go to a lessons to learn to draw or paint? Yeah? Well, initially, often we do, don't we? We go to lessons and we learn to, because we have a desire, but we don't know how to do it. So we, well, the truth is, you won't need to do that in this state you will automatically be able to express what's going on. How many of you have learnt a musical instrument? Right? How many of you didn't pick up the musical instrument and away you went? <coughs> Most of us, right? Because we were learning it through our intellect, right? When we're learning things through this transformed soul, none of those things occur. Do you follow me? You start learning in a totally different way. Now this transformation occurs between the seventh and the eight spheres of the spirit world, so all of the spirits who are here, it's that transformation that occurs between that. But it can be begun at any location in the spirit world or on earth. So I can be in the depths of what you would term the hells or the depths of darkness in the spirit world and I can actually make this transition through understanding the laws of divine love and a bit of time understand how to make this transition at the most rapid pace possible. So these laws of divine love are very, very powerful laws. They transform the soul into a new creature. In fact, six-fear spirits see this soul as a different soul to their own. They actually think that God created two types of souls. Right? One is which their own is and then this other creature. There are pageant messages that talk about these souls flitting from sphere to sphere, so God mustn't care about them very much because they can go anywhere they want. Right? There's some pageant messages about that, and that is true. The truth is that these souls in this state, because the laws of divine love are the highest in hierarchy, it means that they're free. They can transcend all other laws by invoking these laws of love. When you're in this state, you'll be able to heal instantly anything right? as long as the law is satisfied. Right? When I say as long as the law is satisfied, the person who you're healing needs to satisfy a certain law. Right? But it's part of this law of divine love. And you'll actually be able to release your emotions much more rapidly. 
using this law. Because there's a law called the law of repentance, which is a part of the law of divine love, right? which actually governs what emotions you have or are harbouring towards others. And you can actually work your way through those laws and automatically have this feeling of grace or forgiveness through the laws of divine love. <coughs> now, on earth today, there are a lot of six-fear spirits or, and a lot of spiritual forms of spiritual progression that have heard intellectually about these laws. So you've heard the term Christ consciousness, right? Well, everyone who coins that term generally doesn't really understand what it means. Because Christ consciousness is about some of these laws that most people do not understand. Right? You've heard the term um, becoming enlightened. Right? Well, what most people are discussing there when they're a six-fear spirit is the process of getting to the sixth fear. They're not actually talking about this transformation of the soul. The transformation of the soul is a totally different process. You've heard of the Christian term, being born again. Well, yes, that is a part of this process of the laws of divine love, but not in the way the average Christian understands it. Because the average Christian understands that it's because of my death that created the event for them. In other words, Jesus dying for their sins causes, and their belief in that causes them to be born again. That's not true. So there's a basic untruth in that. But the whole viewpoint of being born again is true. There, you are being transformed into a new creature. Does everyone make sense of what's happening there? So, with these viewpoints or these laws, there is a lot of misconceived information on earth about those laws. They are a mixture of intellectual try and an attempt to intellectually understand something that actually goes on within the soul at an emotional level. And this is why I've focused very much in the last year and a half about your emotions. Because without your emotions being involved in the process, you will not be able to go through this transition. Right. The emotions are an essential part of actually making that transition. Now, as the emotions are influenced, what happens is this soul, through these laws, grows into this new creature, and that point, at some point in the future you become, you've heard the term, at one with God. There are constant new age and other viewpoints today that we are already at one with God, we just don't know it. You've heard of that? Like you are, like this, there's this idea that you are all gods. You just don't are not aware of it yet. When you become aware of it, then you will have realized self-realization, enlightenment. That is not what I'm talking about. Right? What I'm talking about is this pro, this becoming at one with God is an emotional process. It's not an intellectual process. It's not a process that you can actually drive intellectually. You can assist yourself intellectually, but you won't be able to drive it intellectually. It's an emotional process. All of the laws of divine love operate only upon the soul and no other part of you. And that's why it's so important to understand them. But remember I said a child can understand them. <laughs> so that's easy. Understanding them is one thing. Doing them is a completely another thing, right? <laughs> Don't you think? And that's where it's difficult. Because the majority of us are so... This world that we live in has become so designed about having everything happen in our head and having us understand everything before we feel it, that we will never get into the state of atonement by using our intellect. 
we cannot, in fact, get into a state of atonement with God by using our intellect. It's physically impossible. Right? It can only be done by the soul's growing. It can only be done by the soul transforming. So, in summary, we have this hierarchy of laws that we can group into three primary areas. The first area is the physical group. The physical universe is governed by all of those laws. There are literally millions of those laws that you can read up on, study about, and you'll be totally fascinated about the majority of them. Like they, they are all fascinating. Then there is this group of laws which we will call the laws of natural love which are all operating upon the soul which are a group of moral laws. <coughs> Many of us have very little desire to understand them. right? And the reason why is because it sounds all too religious and it sounds all too like controlling of my life and everything else with those laws. That's what we often feel. But those laws often are the laws that define your condition when you pass. So that group of laws will determine if you've broken them or lived by them. And I mean broken them or lived by them in the soul, not in your head. Right? That will determine your condition. And this is why many religious people pass still in one of the first fierce conditions or in a hell, hellish condition. The reason why they pass into those conditions is because they have not understood that even me wanting to harm you by actually manipulating you into doing something I want you to do is damaging to you. And that I actually have a penalty on my soul if I do that. So every time I... And they don't understand that every time I get up in front of you and teach you an untruth, my soul condition just goes down. So imagine if you were a minister teaching, like passionately teaching, <coughs> excuse me, a group of untruths, you would be expecting to pass over in a really good condition, wouldn't you? But if you've been passionately teaching a group of untruths that have affected so many different people's lives, your condition is degrading in that process. It must be a shock to the major. It's a huge shock to most people when they pass. Yep. Can we microphones, please? Uh, it's just that the microphone is what gets the sound, which actually gets your recording. So if you want to hear this again, this is the only way. Sorry to interrupt. That's right. Um, but if the minister, say, is truly believing that he's doing the right thing and like doing it with such passion and hoping that you know he's doing a good thing, but I just see that kind of unfair. Why? That he'd go into the lowest one if he doesn't know, like... There is less of an impact if he didn't know than if he does know. Okay. So, so if there was a minister who was teaching a heap of untruths that he didn't even believe himself, okay. he's going to be in a lot worse condition than a minister who actually fully believes everything he's teaching. However, things you teach have a huge effect on everyone around you. So you imagine if you're one of the persons that this minister has taught and you believed all of your life that my blood was the only way that you'd be saved. And so you believed that passionately, you did the church, Jews, you did everything like that, and then you passed over into one of the first few locations in darkness, and you actually were in better condition than the minister who taught you. Right? Imagine how you would feel about religion then, and how you would feel about God then, and how you would... like There'd be lots of emotions you would have about that. 
And who's responsible for that? Not just you. The minister who taught you is also responsible for that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's very, very important to understand that when we teach, we have a big responsibility. Yeah? And this is one reason why many teachers who are um, idolized here on earth pass in quite poor conditions. Because they've actually taught lots of untruths that now need to be untaught. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there is a fairness to it. There's a, everything God has done law-wise is fair. It's just that often we don't think it's fair because we have our own definition of what love is or what fair is. Yeah. So if you're teaching, make sure you're teaching the truth. It doesn't matter you know, if it's just a little portion of the truth as long as you know it to be true inside of you. You know, if you can feel the truth inside of you, then teach that. But be aware that even there are many people who have taught in the past who can feel the, who think they feel the truth inside of them, but they're actually not understanding what that feeling is, and they're actually still teaching falsehood. So there are many ministers, as you correctly point out, who are totally sincere, right? Who fully believe in their heart what they what they think they feel, but actually they're being influenced through their feelings of, from different spirits. So you know how sometimes you hear something and you have this feeling pass through you? A lot of people on the New Age path think that that means it's your feeling. But actually, a lot of times it's not your feeling. It's actually a feeling from a spirit who's with you who agrees with that idea. Does that make sense? And this is where it's so important to understand your own feelings. Far more important to understand your own feelings. And then, of course, you can start to feel God's feelings come through you. Um, thank you. Just two quick questions. First one, um, the Ten Commandments. Yep. Okay. Where do they fit into the, which? Yeah. They, they are, some of them, moral laws. Some of them are actually not moral laws at all. Some are man-made laws. By the way, don't mix up a man-made moral law with a moral law of God. Right? Many religious formats on earth today totally... Um, are, co are um, condemnatory of homosexual relationships, for example. But that doesn't mean it's God's law. Do you follow me? Right. So, so there are many laws that man has created, and I'm not talking about those laws. I'm talking about moral laws that actually do exist from God's perspective, what the, moral, the laws that God created. Right? And yes, some of the Ten Commandments are uh, related to those laws. So you must not murder, of course, is one of those. If we look at the you must not murder, what if we murder, we're harming someone else's free will, are we not? So the law of free will is broken. We're also not being loving to the person, are we? So the law of love is broken. You, you can see that there's quite a number of laws broken if we murder. So yes, you must not murder is a moral law, that actually has bases from God's perspective. Is that, a, is that a also applicable to some of the laws, say in Hinduism, Buddhism, and the, all the other isms, that there are some laws that are moral laws and some that are divine laws? That's correct. Some are, some are man-made moral laws. So most Buddhists don't accept um, the, the uh, homosexual relationship, for example. Um, so that's a man-made moral law. That doesn't mean God made it, because God actually made certain souls where, that when they split, they incarnate into two male forms. So, so the truth is 
that God didn't make that law, but man has made it. So we need to be differentiate between these two types of laws. The fact that there is a lot of man-made laws that we think are God's laws, but are actually just man-made laws because of emotions that exist within us. And we need to be very careful that we can see the difference between